Open your Bibles, please, to Jonah chapter 1. Was overcome by emotion around the communion table. Look at a great Savior. A great Savior. And all that this table represents, it's more than a piece of furniture. Those cups are more than plastic cups with a cracker and grape juice. It's what all of it represents. What it reminds us. We have a personal Savior. A personal Savior. A personal God. Today is part one in our series, Jonah, God's unrelenting pursuit of you. And nothing proves that statement more than the cross of Jesus Christ. Gracious Father in heaven, I pray through the power of your spirit, you would speak, God. Speak through your servant. Speak, God, to our hearts. Through the power of your word. Be glorified as your word is preached and declared and spoken in this place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Today's main scripture text is is Jonah chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3. These three verses will set the context for us. Today is part one as we begin our journey through the book of Jonah. The story of this reluctant prophet, or as Timothy Keller says in his book, The Prodigal Prophet, the story of Jonah speaks to all of our lives, every single one of us here today. Here's what scripture says. Look at verses 1 and 2. Now the word of the Lord. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai. Saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. And cry out against it. For their wickedness has come up before me. In verse 3 we see Jonah's response. But Jonah, uh, what did he do? He arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Jonah ran away from the Lord. Absolutely, he ran away. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So so he paid fear and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Jonah was a man on the run. Was there a song like that? Man on the run. I have this tune going through my head right now. Satan, get out of my mind. (laughs) Jonah was a, a man on the run, but before we judge this guy, before we judge him, let's be honest. There's a little bit of Jonah in some of us. And a whole lot of Jonah in most of us. Those who consider the book of Jonah an allegory or a parable are encouraged to read 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25. 
there, Jonah is identified as a real person, a, a prophet, the son of a mittai from a real city. And in Matthew chapter 12, verse 42, and in the gospel of Luke chapter 11, verse 32, Jesus acknowledged Jonah as a real historic person and pointed to Jonah as a type of his own death, burial, and resurrection. Jonah was a loved prophet. He was famous in his homeland. He prophesied that the Lord was going to prosper Israel, and prosperous they were. The nation regained lost territory and expanded its its boundaries and, and influence. It's important to know it was also a time of moral and spiritual decay as the nation moved away from God to worship idols. And just studying the historical background, this is so often the case when a nation is prosperous. It drifts. It moves away from God and begins to worship idols. The same is true of us. We slowly drift away. We slowly drift away from God and worship possessions. We, we slowly drift away and we, we worship people and, and pleasure. In chapter 1, Jonah is running from God. In chapter 2, Jonah is praying to God, and I would too. In, in Jonah chapter 3, um, he, um, Jonah is speaking for God. And in Jonah chapter 4, he, he's learning about out the, the, the love and mercy of God. The book of Jonah is not about a big fish. One of the first things we think about when we think of the book of Jonah is we think of the whale. But the book of Jonah is not about a big fish. The fish is mentioned only four times in the whole story. It's not about a city. Nineveh is mentioned only nine times. And it's really not about a prodigal prophet. Jonah is mentioned only 18 times. The book is about God. God is mentioned 38 times in this short little book. 38 times. This book is about God and how great his heart is toward prodigal sons and daughters who run away from him. It's a book that reminds us of God's continued story of of grace and mercy. God knew we would need these reminders, so he instituted what we call the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, communion. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. It's about the will of God and the love of God, both for his people and the lost people of the world. It's about God's unrelenting pursuit of you and me. And I'm overwhelmed by that this morning as we, as we came around the communion table. God never gives up on Jonah. We'll see this as we walk through the journey um, through this Old Testament book. And, and he doesn't give up on you. Did you hear that this morning? He doesn't give up on you. In fact, I was going to share today's opening scripture reading in today's message. And I didn't put it into my outline of scriptures. And Lord put this on Pastor Bob's heart and he put it up on the screen. Nothing can separate us from his love. Nothing. 
Again, I love how the Holy Spirit coordinates and, and puts the, the pieces together. He's so perfect. He's so perfect. He's so good. I love him so much. Before we go any further in our study this morning, let's look at the meaning behind a couple of names. Jonah's name means dove. Now, we know the dove is the symbol for peace, and his father's name, Amittai, means truth. Jonah was commanded by God to go to the wicked city of Nineveh and preach God's truth so that the Ninevites had the opportunity to repent and make peace with God. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Wow. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria and was Israel's absolute foremost, worst, worst enemy. Israel hated the Ninevites, and we'll see why in just a little while. But before we do, let's look again at verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Number one here this morning, God is a God who speaks. God is a God who speaks. When God created, he said, let there be, and there was. He created with the spoken word. In the New Testament book of John chapter 1 verse 1 it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and and dwelt among us. God is a speaking God. God created Adam and Eve because he wanted to to love and be loved. He wanted to speak. He, He spoke with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day in the garden. We see there in the first book of the Bible Genesis. Through history God speaks in different ways and we see this in the bible throughout scripture he has spoken with the audible voice god has spoken through his prophets he has spoken through circumstances god has spoken through creation he has spoken through the voice of the holy spirit if you're here today if you've never heard the voice of god you can and will today by simply opening his word the bible The Bible is God's word. It is described as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. The Bible is God's word that pierces. It is truth that is living. It will transform lives from the inside out. The word of the Lord will come to you and God will speak to you. Amen, church? God will speak a specific word to you. It may be a word to comfort, to comfort you. Remember, he's a personal God. He speaks personally to you. He's a personal savior. It may be to convict you of sin. It may be to correct you. It may be to change something you're doing. It may be to call you to do something bigger than yourself for his glory and eternal purposes. When the word of the Lord comes to you, you'll have a choice. Obey the word of the Lord or you can do what Jonah did. You can run. What did Jonah do? You can run. You can disobey. 
When the word of the Lord comes to you, he will often ask you to do something that you don't want to do. How many can say, oh, I know that personally? And the reason we don't want to do it a lot of the time is because we really, really think, somehow we really like to think in our mind that we know what's best for us more than what God knows what's best for us. This was the context of Jonah. The Assyrian army was brutal in the way that they would attack cities and torture their captives. What they would do to the people in those cities and to their captives is it's too disgusting and barbaric to share from the pulpit. It made me sick. As I was studying this, the, the history and the barbarism of the Assyrians. Their specialty was brutality of a gross and, and, and disgusting kind. They were ruthless, evil enemies of Israel. They were feared and hated. In fact, history records that when the Assyrian army would enter a city, the people in the city would take their own lives so not to suffer at the hands of these evil and wicked people. Whole cities would take their lives. If you knew what they did to the men, women, and children in these cities, you would be sympathetic toward Jonah. You would understand why Jonah hated the Ninevites, why he didn't want to go. You would would show a little mercy. Okay, maybe a lot of mercy. Why? Because we all have a little bit of Jonah in us. We do. The book of Jonah opens with, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. It's amazing, isn't it, Just how just one sentence can change your life? You can be driving down the highway and, and get one phone call that, that changes your life forever. If it's good news, your life changes one way. If it's bad news, your life changes in, in, in another way. And that's what happened to Jonah when the word of the Lord came to him. God spoke four words. Arise, go to Nineveh. He, he commanded Jonah to, to preach against it. Call, it its, call out its wickedness. Call them to repentance. The day of God's judgment has come. But for this Jewish prophet who, who saw his own people and possibly family members suffer horrible deaths at the evil hands of the Assyrians, as far as Jonah was concerned, Nineveh could go straight to, excuse me, hell. We all have a little bit of Jonah in us. Because right now, some of you are thinking of some people right now. (laughs) Go ahead, Lord. Go ahead, Lord. Push the button. Open the trap door. Go. Let me help you. Let them fall straight down into the pit. Close the trap. Seal it up. Nobody here has any Jonah in you. 
That's how Jonah felt about Nineveh. What qualifies as Nineveh today in your life? Nineveh is whatever pulls you out of your comfort zone. What's pulling you out of your comfort zone? Nineveh is the place God calls where you don't want to go. Where is God calling you and you don't want to go there? Nineveh is the people who have hurt you deeply and the word of the Lord comes to you saying, go and give them my message of love, mercy, grace, and redemption. Nineveh is whatever you hate that God loves deeply. What do you do when God says, go to Nineveh? And you hate those people. What do you do with such a mission? You can run. But you can't hide. When God said, arise, go to Nineveh, you you might expect the next verse to read, and Jonah arose, the good prophet of God that he is, and he went to, to Nineveh happy and singing praise songs. Filled with the joy of the Lord. Can't wait to get there and meet these wicked, evil, barbaric people. I just can't wait. But that's not what happened. Verse 3 says, Jonah ran from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. Look at verse 3. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of of the Lord. That just grips my heart. From the presence of the Lord. Jonah rebelled. No other way to say it. Church, if we're, if we're taking notes, please write this down. Rebellion is saying no to God. Rebellion is saying no to God. Plain and simple. Is there an area in your life where you're saying no to God? Is there? Write it on your outline. Is there an area of your life today where you are saying no to God? That's rebellion. God said, go east. Jonah said, I'm going west. And so he runs from the presence of the Lord and he heads for Joppa where he just happens to find a boat going where he wants to go, Toshis. It's a long way from Joppa to Toshis. There's a 2,500-mile gap between God's call on Jonah's life and Jonah's desire to go to Tarshish. He wanted to get as far away as possible from the will of God. Now, let's think about this for just a moment. It's not like they had a boat leaving for Tarshish every day. I mean, 2,500 miles every day? I don't think so. They didn't have these cruise ships like we have today. What's the chances? Is it an amazing coincidence? The providence of God? Um, Church, when we decide to disobey God, please hear this this morning. When we decide to disobey God, there is always a boat going to Tarshish. And there 
there, there is always room for one more passenger, always. What are the chances that Jonah would have the money in his pocket to pay the fare for, for a ship that happened to be going where he wanted to go? What are the chances? I can't tell you how, how many conversations over the years in my pastoral ministry I've had where people are doing something clearly against God's word and will, and they're like, but look, pastor, all this just worked out. Everything fell, fell right into place, and, and it makes me so happy and, and so full. Pastor, look, look at all this stuff. It just all came together. That's it. All the pieces of the puzzle just came together, connected, perfect. Please, please, again. If you hear nothing else today, hear this. If you want to run from God, there will always be a ship ready to take you to Tarshish. When we decide to run from the Lord, Satan is happy to provide the transportation. You have an enemy whose role is to ready the ship for your disobedience. I've pondered the excuses Jonah might have given for running from the Lord. And, and here's a few. God is calling me to Tarshish. They need the Lord there too. I've prayed about it. I have peace in my heart about the decision. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things. Look at the circumstances. I had the money. The ship just happened to be there. It must be God's will. Whenever we decide to disobey, we can always find an excuse. It's easy to justify wrongdoing by dressing it in religious language. It looks like Jonah had gotten away with it. He's run away from God, bought a ticket, and now he's on the ship, and he goes down into the lowest part. Our text tells us he, he, he goes down into the lowest part of the ship, and he falls asleep. I'm a free man. I got away. He's heading for his desired destination, and it's not Nineveh. He's on his way to Sandals, <laughs> where the sun is shining and the sky is blue and the sand is pure white. As you'll see, you can run, but you cannot hide. I'm reminded of 2 Kings as I was studying. 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 9, it says, the, the children of Israel secretly did against the Lord their God things that were not right. In a dark time in Israel, they decided to reject God's word, fully understanding that what they were doing was not right before God, but they, it didn't matter. They decided to go their own way. They knew what they were doing was wrong, but it, it didn't matter to them. Knowing God would not be pleased, they tried to hide their rebellion from him by what they thought was being done secretly was in fact not the case. You can run 
from the presence of the Lord, but you can't hide from the presence of the Lord. The Hebrew word for secretly comes from a root word that implies being veiled or or shielded. They were trying to cover up what they were doing, but God knew all along what they were doing. People throughout history have made this same mistake. We think of Adam and Eve who tried to hide themselves in their sin um, from God. We read this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. Jesus said in, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, verse 17, there is nothing hidden that shall not be disclosed, nor anything secret that shall not be known and come out to the open church. I mean no disrespect by this because I am in this camp. Sin makes us dumb. That we can hide anything, that we can run from God, and that we can hide from God. Oh, you can run, but you can't hide. We may try to hide from others, but you can't hide from God. Every thought, every action, you cannot hide from God. Run all you want, but you can't hide. Jonah is an incredible, little but powerful, powerful book. Small, but large in its punch. God sends storms of grace and mercy As I've read through these chapters over and over and over and over and over again, I'm gripped by the grace, the mercy, all that this table represents to you, to me. God sends storms of grace and mercy. Let's pick up the story in verse 4. But the, the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and, and there was a mighty tempest, storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. You can run, but you cannot hide. There's a strong storm directed right at Jonah, and our text says, the Lord sent it. Does that get your attention? Sure gets mine. I call these storms the storms of grace and mercy. Jonah shows us how even when we disobey and rebel, God showers us with storms of grace and mercy in order to bring us back into his perfect will. What love. Amazing love. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 and 6 say, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Verse 11 of Hebrews 12 says, Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Hebrews 12, verses 12 and 13 say, Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down in the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather healed. The ship was on the verge of being ripped apart. 
God showers church. God showers us with storms of grace and mercy to discipline us in order to bring us back into his perfect will. There's nothing better than the perfect will of God. Can I hear a big big amen? And the, the perfect will of God is not the most comfortable place to be. It's not the easiest place to be. Oftentimes it's the most uncomfortable, uncomfortable place and hardest place to be. But it's the perfect place to be. These storms are a loving act motivated by God's unrelenting pursuit of you and of me. Every act of disobedience to God has a storm attached to it. Every act. Now, now we, we must be careful here. This is not to say that every difficult thing that comes into our lives is punishment for some specific act of sin. The entire book of Job contradicts the belief that good people will, will have lives that go well and that if your life is going badly, it must be your fault. Not true, not true, not true. In so many cases. The Bible does not say that every difficulty, every storm is the result of sin, but it does teach that every sin will bring you into difficulty, will, will attach a storm to your life. We cannot abuse our bodies and expect to have good health. We cannot treat people indifferently and rudely and expect to maintain healthy friendships. We cannot put our own self-interest ahead of our spouses and expect to have a healthy marriage. If we sin against our bodies, if we sin against our friends and, and our spouses, they'll strike back. Every sin will bring you into difficulty. Sometimes God is punishing sin. We see this in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 5. The Lord detests the proud. They will surely be punished. Other times, sin itself punishes us. Sin itself punishes us. Proverbs 21, 7. The violence of the wicked sweeps them away because they refuse to do what is just, what is right. Old Testament scholar Derek Kinder writes, sin sets up strains in the structure of life which can only end in breakdown. How true that is. Here the results of Jonah's disobedience are immediate and dramatic. There is a powerful storm directed right at Jonah. For Jonah, the, the storm was the consequence of his sin. You can run, but you cannot hide. Numbers 32, 23 says, take note, you have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. Jonah teaches us that that our rebellion, our sin against God doesn't just affect us, it also affects others. And in some cases can put other people's lives in great danger. Innocent people are brought into our storms. They were brought into Jonah's. And often it's the people we love the most. And here in verse 5 of our text, it says, Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God. How hopeless. There are people right now crying out to their God. To their false gods. 
The Bible says they, they have no ears. They're deaf. They have no ears. They're not real. They're false. They have no life, no power, no ability to help. Isn't that sad to think of all the false gods? There's, there's hundreds and thousands upon thousands of false religions and false gods in, in our world. And then the mariners were afraid and every man cried out to his, to his God and, and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. The ship had other people on it. They're terrified. The ship is about to be ripped apart. They're about to die all because of someone else's sin, because of someone else's disobedience, all because someone said no to God. Next Sunday, we'll pick up here at verse 5. The Bible does not say that every storm is a result of our sin, but it does teach that for Christians, every storm can help reduce the power of sin over our hearts. Storms can wake us up to truths, God's truths we would otherwise never see. Never see, have eyes to see. Storms can develop faith, deep faith, hope, love, patience, humility, self-control in us that nothing else can. God uses these storms for his glory and for our good. Storms can also lead us to repentance. Storms can stop us from running away from God. Jonah shows us God's unrelenting pursuit of us. Even when we disobey, rebel, and run away from him, God showers us. I'm just so overwhelmed by this reality and truth. God showers us with storms of grace and mercy in order to bring us back into his perfect will. Motivated by this perfect love for this imperfect person. Grace, grace, such grace. We all have a little Jonah in us. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. What is God saying to you? What is the word of the Lord to you? God is a speaking God. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. What is God saying to you? What is the word of the Lord for you? What is God saying? Jonah said no to God. What are you saying no to? What part of you is saying no to God? Jonah ran from God. Why are you running from God? Why are you running? I know there are people here today who are running. You're running. Why? Why are you running from God who loves you with an everlasting love? Who is in unrelentlessly, he, he's pursuing you. And nothing proves it more than the cross of Christ. Why are you running from God?
Initially, as we will see next week, Jonah could not see that deep within the terror of the storm, God's grace and mercy was at work drawing him back to change his heart and to align his heart with his will. A perfect will. The will of a perfect God who loves an imperfect people no matter how wicked or evil they may be. There's grace and mercy. Church, there's grace and mercy deep inside our storm. And maybe you find yourself in a storm caused by your no, by your running, There's grace and mercy deep inside your storm. Jeremiah 31.3, I close with this verse. The Lord has appeared of old to me saying, yes. Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness. The Hebrew translation I love, gracious love, I have drawn you. Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, gracious love, I have drawn you. I have drawn you. That's what we were remembering as we held the bread in the cup. Jonah shows us God's unrelenting pursuit of us. Join me standing. As the worship team leads us in this chorus of worship, Maybe you want to come and just kneel here and and talk to God. Get down to business with God. Maybe right there where you're standing. There's some things that God has spoken. And he's waiting for a response. loves you and right where you're standing by faith you can call on the strong name of our Lord and be saved